All right, good evening and welcome to Lost in the Long Box for Wednesday, July 1st. Madman, I, I got to get used to the condenser mic again because it, it feels weird to hear my voice but not have a mic in my face. Right. <laughs> I am your host, Randall. I have my co-host over here, Olivia. Say hello. Hello. Enos, say hello. Hello, everyone. Tommy on Zoom, say hello. Hello, Tommy. Say hello. Hello. Yeah, there we go. Wow, that's a hell of a delay. <laughs> I don't know if he didn't hear me or... I think he was frozen. He just oh, can you hear me? Yeah, you're fine now, but uh, okay. you were frozen for a moment there. Okay. All right, so how was everyone's week? Pretty it was good, good so far. Can't Fourth of July is coming up. We can sit and watch fireworks from on television. On television. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? That's right. Although we have some friends, their, their neighbor has stockpiled him, like, and every other weekend he's firing them off uh, from his house. And I was like, well, you know, hey, Interesting. you can't go anywhere. Why not? Why not? So... All right, let's go ahead and get right to the news items. Um, Olivia, you go first. You got a good one about uh, from Disney+. Plus. Okay, so um, Anthony Mackie actually released more information that um, about their Falcon and Winter Soldier show that's coming out. Um, he compared it to a six-hour Marvel movie, which is really interesting. It says a lot about the type of content and the quality of the content that they're going to be releasing. So far, they haven't said anything else about WandaVision or the Obi-Wan show that's supposed to come out soon, so... I'm assuming it's kind of their chance at staying relevant um, since a lot of people are saying that they're going to cancel the subscriptions because there's no new content. Now, and that's funny that uh, Howard Mackey is saying it because didn't Disney just announce they were pushing back all the Marvel shows? Yes. They did a couple weeks ago. So does that mean that they already had it filmed and it's just sitting on a shelf? or does that? Because when they say they're pushing it back and then he says it's going to be like a six-hour Marvel movie, that tells me either he has seen the script, they've been filming it, and it's just delayed – Whereas Disney would have you believe that they hadn't even started any work on it. So my understanding with the Falcon and the Winter Soldier is that they still had about three weeks left of filming. But they filmed everything else, but it was still pushed back with the COVID situation because they can't finish right, filming right. it. Gotcha. Well, that six-hour Marvel <laughs> movies. So, I mean, it's going to be a regular series, right? Mm-hmm. So, right. Let's, so let's backpedal again. If he's comparing it to, say, a, a six-hour Marvel movie, and we got to put that in quotes because he's mm-hmm. saying it's like a six-hour Marvel movie. Mm-hmm. How many actual hours of television do you think we're getting? Six. I would think it was six episodes. I would think six episodes at the most. It would be um, an hour for that series. I kind of, like, can't really see it being 30. Right. With, with, with all that that you would have to condense just to just to make the show credible. I can't see it being done for just 30 minutes. I'm thinking at least six episodes. Right. Except I think The Mandalorian was 30 minutes. I'd have to go True. back and check that. True. True. So we may be looking at 12. So, but there's then still no word on She-Hulk, right? No. No. <laughs> I think it's, I think Cat the Winter, you know, this thing's going to have to be an hour. I don't really think you can do it in 30 minutes. That seems yeah. like it'd be... Well, <laughs> short. You, you say that, kind of but remember, all the Doctor Who episodes were 30 minutes long. That's well, I don't know. I've never seen an episode of Doctor Who, so I Most can't. infuriating crap you'll ever watch. It, and, I mean, they're really good, but they're 30 minutes. And so you just knew that, oh, they're not going to wrap it up this episode. Oh, they're not going to wrap it up this episode. Yeah. And, and I'm and, digressing here for a minute. You know what's really <laughs> aggravating about that show? What's that? Um, is that... The episode, the story could be, say, 12 episodes long. Mm-hmm. The doctor knew what was going on the first 20 minutes in. Yeah. <laughs> and then you had to wait 11 episodes to find out what it was. Remember that? <laughs> yeah. Now, also, we might want to take into consideration as well, and I just thought about this, because being 30 minutes is not far-fetched because it's commercial-free. Right, right. That's true. So, yeah, so, that's true. So 
really, if you look at an hour television show, it's only 45 minutes. I forgot about that that's because it's streaming. So there's no commercial. So that's feasible. If it's, thir- if it's 30 minutes and a full 30 minutes without commercials, that, that would be Yeah, right. then, then that, that makes more. I for- I completely forgotten about that. Right. So, Tommy, um, lay it on us. I know you got something. So we got the uh, six-issue comic miniseries. Uh, Event Techmate has been um, delayed indefinitely. Um, DC has announced that it, you know, it does plan on, on doing later time when it more aligns with their storylines. So okay. Whatever that so I need to interrupt you for one moment. Um, what he said, listeners, is the event Leviathan Checkmate um, event has been delayed indefinitely. Tommy, you're you're cutting out. So. Oh, I'm cutting out. Okay. That's why I reiterated it. Yeah, but apparently it's been delayed until it more aligns with its um, with the company's storyline. So whatever that means. I, I tell you exactly what it means. There were things in the regular books that they wanted to tie in between a Leviathan and Leviathan Checkmate that because of COVID, they didn't get to do. So in order to make Leviathan Checkmate work, you have to push it back so that regular issues can catch up. Uh, there you go. I mean, that, yeah. I, that's how I read it. It's Because if you read it, they were not saying it's never coming. Um, yeah. And even though it does say it's delayed indefinitely, if you actually start reading into it, they're basically saying without saying... We need all the other books to catch up to where they should have been about. So yeah, yeah, because this definitely took a toll on the on the industry as far as getting behind on things. So right. well, so well, everything's know. behind, and it's I, I kind of snicker a little bit when I'm reading my books and I'm seeing ads for stuff like in April, and I'm like, oh, <laughs> yeah, no, it didn't. Enos, what's your news item? Got a couple. First one is quick, short, sweet to the point, ladies and gentlemen. If you were Big fans of John Byrne's run on Superman back in the, back during the mid to late 80s. And you want to have those collected? Well, you are in luck. Uh, at the beginning of the year, um, they were going to release a two-volume omnibus series called Superman, the Man of Steel by John Byrne. Well, for some reason, that got pushed back. Now, it's going to be released at the end of the month, but it's not going to be in omnibus form. It's just going to be in standard hardcover format, which is going to be about $50 cheaper than what it would normally be. So, that's great. Now, the second volume is going to be released later in the year. Now, they're talking about making that omnibus. Now, I can't see that happening because that would look kind of stupid. You got a set of books. One one looked like David and Goliath, one bigger than the other. But, But then again... Who knows what they're going to do. Now, my big piece of news is probably something a lot of you have heard most of the day. Nothing has been confirmed yet, and I'm still looking on all of my sites, and I have not reported this on the Batman Yesterday, Today, and Forever page, but word is that Ben Affleck is close to re-signing as Batman for the not only the Snyder Cut for Justice League, but maybe in some other films. So... I am praying that this is this is valid because a lot of people jumped on the um, Affleck bandwagon due to his performance in Batman vs. Superman. And even though they watered him down in Justice League, um, along with Aquaman and Wonder Woman and The Flash, he really stood out. And... Um, well, I will I'll stay on top of this, and I hopefully will have something a little bit more concrete next week. But there have been at least three Batman sites that I've looked at on both Facebook and Instagram that are all reporting the same thing. So it appears that this thing may have legs. So you know, that, you know why that's really interesting 
Because remember, when Warner Brothers first announced they're going to do the DC Snyder Cut, mm -hmm. um, Justice League, and that HBO Max was getting it, they said they was giving him like another $20 million to shoot scenes he didn't get to do. Right. Which just tells me, if they're talking to Affleck, that some of the scenes of all Batman. Oh, yeah. And I guarantee you, um, they're going to tie back to the dream slash vision he has in Batman vs. Superman. Right. When he sees Darkseid's Omega Sigil in the sand there. Right, right. So, I'm actually and, looking and forward to And also, this could also um, be something that would um, whet the appetites to the Batman because uh, I have to say, guys, I though a lot of people are saying they're giving it a chance, uh, most of the feedback that I have been getting on this movie from the guys on my page and other pages that I interact with, it's not positive. They're, they are not feeling Robert Pattinson as Batman. So here's what I'm hoping. If this thing has legs in regard to Ben Affleck being signed, I will bet every last dime in my pocket and Ooh, being, it, it, especially, <laughs> especially with everything being on hold, hold with due to COVID nineteen, how much are you willing to bet that they are going to integrate Affleck into this movie and Pattinson be flashback scenes, and it'll begin with Affleck and it's going to end with Affleck. If they do, the Batman is going to be a solid hit. I guarantee it. I got five bucks. Are you in? <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> you get us in trouble, man. <laughs> Madman, uh, on the mic, uh, soundboard there, y'all. What you think about that, Batman? Batman runs our boards, guys. Um, I'm crazy. crazy. So, I tell you what I'm hoping for. I'm hoping that the uh, Snyder Justice League cut does well enough that Warner Brothers um, and all the fans step up and say, well, you know what? We kind of would like to see where Snyder was going with this. Exactly. And they're like, okay, make the other two movies. Oh, yeah. Because remember, yeah. his Justice League was supposed to be a trilogy. Yeah. So. So, 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 we, we, we may. Come on, Raymond, get, get it want. out. We may get what we want now. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> very funny. Good. We all may right. finally get what we want. <laughs> so, I have news uh, tied directly to that. Um, if you are a subscriber to DC Universe, um, which I am actually, um, which is funny because I changed credit card and I never gave it to them, but somehow they still found me. Uh, I'm not complaining. I just want to know how they did that. Um, they are now offering you a discounted HBO Max subscription to DC Universe. Um, you can get it on DC Universe for $4.99 a month. The regular price is $14 a month, so $14.99. Um, so oh, that hmm. is that is DC preparing for the Snyder Cut. Oh today. yeah, because remember they said the release date, and I'm using this in air quotes, uh, was early 2021 or first quarter 2021. This tells me it might be a lot sooner because they want everybody to get in now, so that January, February when it drops, they've already got all your subscribers. Plus, and if they want to add, really want to hook you in, they've also announced that seasons one and two of Harley Quinn is going to be hitting late this summer too on HBO Max. Right. So, and I hear that's you know, that's on the verge. If it hasn't already, that's already been this on the way to being released on DVD as well. It, you know what? I, I gotta say, I really do love that series. I was. <laughs> I, I have to admit, I've only seen a couple of episodes, but it draws you in, and you can't stop watching. Right. 
season well, one was really good. I have not seen season two yet, but season one was excellent. Yeah, I, I still haven't finished season one. Uh, uh, unfortunately, I, I'm behind on my TV. I think when I go away next weekend, I'm going to watch a bunch of stuff on my laptop. But I just, I really love that first episode when Ivy is like, oh, for Pete's sake, and she can't get, can't get Holly to just let it go. Mm. <laughs> and she's in jail, and whole inmates are like, he's not coming! <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, anyone got any more news items? I do not. We're going to get to the show and tell, um, but before we get to the show and tell, Olivia, for the last time, is going to tell us who is bringing us to show and tell. doesn't mean she's leaving the show. It just means we're going to get this pre-recorded so she doesn't have to do this every week. So Gateway Comics and Toys is the sponsor. Um, we're located in Fredericksburg, Virginia. All of our social media and website can be found under Gateway Comics and Toys. And um, we do have some specials going on in the next couple weeks with everything. Um, Marvel and DC books coming back, so we will be posting lots of information about that soon, so I definitely suggest checking it out. Awesome. So, Mab and I assume this is the camera right here for our show and tell? That is the camera. All right, great. Um, Olivia, since I are in front of you, you get to play uh, display. Okay. So, first up will be the one Madman brought in, which is, is that issue number one, Madman, of Robin 3? Yeah, that's the first issue. And that's the, the we, nice moving <clears throat> lenticular cover, right? Yeah, we were talking about it last week about <laughs> yeah. how there was so, they, they would throw so much crap at you. It, you know, the specialized cover. And, the, it, you know, you pull it slowly down the thing. The little cape flaps. It, yeah, and the cape flaps. <laughs> and that's all it did is a cape flap. Yeah, and so, I mean, I, I, well, how much is it worth? Zero. Right. I mean, but I still put a bag and board on it and Everybody never opened it. Everybody bought it, too. Yeah. And didn't they make every last one of them? Oh, yeah, there was, was no the regular cover. had a different cover. <laughs> yeah. It was a cool gimmick, I guess, yeah. but I wasn't going to open them. Why, why bag right. them if you're not going to be able to use them? You know? Well, the thing that, I remember this, too. The thing that really... T- Aggravated me about this. If I can see this for just yeah, a moment, the whole cape didn't flap. It was just the bottom. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, seriously, with this, you're going to put a lenticular cover on here, and you're just going to make the bottom of the cape flap, and not even the whole cape. It's basically just the corners. Right. The corners of the cape flap. Because of course, I bought two or three of these, you know, and I just so I so I can open one and keep two because I was going to be a millionaire in ten years. Right. Right. If there well, was, that's what you did in the '90s. You, yeah, you bought multiple yeah, copies of every other one. You right can, up there with X-Men number one, which we still need to have the X-Men number one burning party. Yeah, tell her about that. This is brilliant. I'm going to go out and buy every copy of X-Men number one. And okay. I'm going to get the best ones I can. I'm going to get them all great, get like nine eights, nine nines, what have you. Then we're going to have a bonfire and have everybody bring their X-Men number ones and burn them. <laughs> Instant okay. collectible. All right. All right. And Enos <laughs> has brought in uh, number Detective Comics 387. It's a nice book there, Enos. Wow. First appearance of the new look Batman that was uh, started by Carmine Infantino and uh, Julius Schwartz, which tied in with the, I think it uh, was around the same time as the Batman television series. Robin's showing a lot of leg, of course. (laughs) 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 So, so, you know, uh, being a comic fan, I will say that is the one thing with Robin that immediately I looked at it and like, how is that practical? How is this kid well, not dead? It's probably, I mean, probably because all these villains are uncomfortable with him in the room. That, you know? that is it's great. like, I, I can't not look at your legs, kid. Well, I feel like a perv. Think about it. When they're all sitting around and like Joker and Penguin and Riddler, they're all like, what's with him and the kid? I'm like, I know, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and, and that's why I still say to this day, why did they wait fit during their 50 years to change his costume? Uh, that should have been changed in 75. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, so, I mean, I remember seeing an interview with Stan Lee where he said, he, like, he hated the whole concept of, of sidekicks. Right. But in many ways, when I was a kid, I did identify with the sidekicks. And that's why DC had chosen to put these characters right. in. You know, the sidekick to ident- for the kids who are buying the comic books can identify with. But when I grew up, then I was like, I don't want to be Robin. I want to be Batman. Well, <laughs> when you're a kid, your fantasy was, wow, I'd love to be best friends with Superman. Or I'd love to be best friends with Batman. And here was these guys who were, you know. Uh, hey, Tommy. Have you got yes, something? For, have you got something for showing show? Because I'm not gonna lie, Olivia and I are gonna own it this week. We're gonna owns it. So you go next. So I have a fun one. I'm, and I have a fun one. Mine's not particularly expensive, but it but it is a fun one. This is one my brother got me, and it is Super Friends number one. <laughs> oh. Although I will, Jimmy, I guess about a year ago, it's like just a little fun one. Well, we're the same age, aren't we, Tommy? And I'm sure, as a kid, you were watched that you watched that show. It's probably your first introduction to superheroes. Oh yeah, yeah. That's one of the introductions to superheroes is that you know, with especially with the Wonder Twins. I love me the Wonder Twins. They they were great. You were you were a very you were a very part of a small majority of <laughs> who liked the, on, the, like the Wonder Twins. Form of a bucket. Right, of hang on. Yeah. Form of a bucket of water. Hang on. <laughs> hang on. I, I'm with Tommy on this one because I hated Marvin and Wendy. And yeah, I, I, well. Okay. <laughs> and I, I didn't care for the monkey Gleek. Well, I ain't like Gleek. <laughs> but but I, I also hated Samurai and the Apache Chief guy. Oh, yeah. But I was okay with the Wonder Twins. Apache Chief had potential. They just didn't use him right. Well, it was a stupid character. Yeah, it was a stupid right. character, but they still didn't <laughs> use him properly. All right, moving on. Now's the part where we own the show. So Randall brought in, um, since our um, episode tonight is about Joe Sinnott, I brought in Fantastic Four number 77, inked by Mr. Sinnott. So much color. It's such a great looking book. Tommy's very nice. Again. Oh, there we go. You, Thomas. All right. What'd you say everything nice. about it to me earlier when you brought it in, Randy? Tell the people what you told me about it. I don't remember. About that era, you know? Oh, um, uh, that that was uh, it was a Joe Sinnott inked era, era book. Oh, Fantastic Four, right? I remember now. Um, so Madman, for you guys who don't remember, Madman is not a huge Fantastic Four fan. No, I hate him. Um, which I mean, <laughs> that's, that's basis for firing right there. But uh, right. for those of you who may not like Fantastic Four, and and I told and he, and Madman did at least agree with this, they are every bit as important as Superman or Detective Comics because they redefined the Silver Age. Well, um, so many and, plot lines uh, right, for, and, began and this, in a Fantastic Four comic. Right. In this era, in fact, the first 104 issues of Fantastic Four was Kirby and Lee, and so much of what was come in the, these, uh, in the Marvel Universe afterwards starts with these, with these 100 issues. So, All right, Livia, you, you, had, you had the con. Okay, so I have Silver Surfer number two which is inked by Joe Sinnott, and it's actually the first appearance of the Brotherhood of Badoon and Brother Loyal. And then I also have Silver Surfer number three, also inked by Joe Sinnott, and it's the first appearance of Mephisto. Ah. Wow. Which is a very cool Hey, Mephisto, <laughs> the guy who will screw up Spider-Man yeah, 40 years later. <laughs> and he was also very prevalent when they brought uh, Kesar back during the late 80s and Kesar the Savage. Uh, him and Belasco. Oh, right, yes. Oh, I hated Belasco. Uh, I hated that character. 
Well, <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, tonight's episode, um, sorry to say, we're doing way too many of these here now. Um, Joe Sinnott, legendary inker for Marvel Comics, passed away last week. Um, so we are going to spend tonight's episode talking about uh, his life and his work in comics. Um, was born in 1926, um, on October 16th. Um, I didn't realize this, but his early comic book infl- influences were like Terry and the Pirates. And Batman, Congo, Bill, Hawkman. So he is a, um, a student of the 1930s and 40s comics. So mm-hmm. um, didn't realize also he is a decorated World War II vet. Um, Very decorated. Right, because he's got, let's see, the Asia Pacific Campaign Medal, World War II Victory Medal, Navy Occupation Service Medal. Um, and all because his brother Jack um, had died because um, he was in the Army. So at his mother's wishes, he went into another branch. Um, which I'm trying to figure this out because weren't you drafted in World War II? I was confused so about that. I, well, you could do both. You so I think what he did was he okay. went and volunteered for the Navy so the Army wouldn't take him. Gotcha. Um, because yeah, remember, a lot of people do that. They'll Instead of like, uh, if, you're, if you know you're going to be drafted, you'll go and join the Air Force or the Navy. Right. Something where you're right. not... Most likely not going to be in combat. Yeah, where you're not going to see a lot of combat because if you win the, the army, Marines basically they're the front lines. They're the infantry and what have you. So if you went there, you had the chance of seeing combat with the air force and the navy. Not as much. Well, he he served the Seabees in Okinawa, so I think he probably saw oh, yeah. some combat. Probably saw some stuff. <laughs> oh yeah, respect for the Seabees though. Yeah, you know, absolutely. You know it. But it's funny because. He went into the Navy because his older brother had died in the Army, and his mother said, you know, please don't go in the Army. But he had probably just a dangerous career in the military of his brother, you know, so. Well, that's the point. If, you, if you're going to the military during wartime, you're going to be involved somehow. Right, yeah. exactly. You know, my dad, he joined the Navy trying to get away from combat, but ended up being a corpsman, you know, so. Right. I mean, you're not going to win these medals if you're not seeing action. Right, exactly. Especially okay. when the name of the medal is Campaign, Asia, Asiatic Pacific Campaign Medal. <laughs> yeah, that was a long road to Okinawa. Right. Yeah. That, that tells you you were over there fighting. Um, but when he came back home, I guess he was working for his father's concrete shop. Um, and then he got accepted into the <coughs> School of Visual Arts in New York City, which I think then it was called, what, Cartoonist and Illustrator School? Mm-hmm. Um, so, and that's when he met, um, started, he went there on a GI Bill, <coughs> excuse me, and he met Tom Gill who asked him to start working on um, his freelance comic with him. Um, so here's what's interesting. I guess this is where he pretty much really gets his craft down, um, because when he's working with Gil, this is how he meets Stan Lee. Mm-hmm. And Stan Lee gives him some work, and his first work is inking Fantastic Four number five. Wasn't Tom Gill one of the earlier um, artists on The Lone Ranger? Uh, Long, well, I don't know about uh, Long Ranger, but he did it well. He might have, because he was doing some Western comics over at Dell. So, so because that name sounds familiar. When he was working with Tom Gill, it's, it, it was it was talking about here what he was making seven dollars a week. Right. Seven dollars a week. Man. Well, that's you know, that's not and he, and he says here they were paying him well. So apparently right. seven dollars a week was pretty good money. Yeah, man. Yeah, but that's like what, nineteen forty eight, dude. Of course he's making <laughs> good money in seventy eight. Yeah, seven dollars a week. That's two bags of groceries, dude. Right. That's $28 a month, baby. Uh-huh. <laughs> but apparently he was also doing some other books like uh, for Atlas, you know, before Atlas becomes Marvel. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was doing stuff like um, 
for Apache Kid. He was doing stuff for like the Marvel Tales, their Journey into Mystery, their Strange Tales, Uncanny Tales, all the pre-hero stuff. Yeah. Um, so he, so it's funny. <clears throat> he's, he's a big name at Marvel, and he's already inking long before the Marvel Age starts. Right. Um, so now what's funny is he gets uh, the inking job from Fantastic Four number five. Which is that is first Namor, right? Yes. Number five. I have to tell you a story about this. I told okay. you last week I'd tell you this story, so I'll tell you this in just a moment. But they actually liked his work on it, so they sent him Fantastic Four number six to ink as well. But he was already doing that job at the time, and I guess he didn't have enough time to finish it, so he had to send it back to Stan to, to have someone else oh, finish man. it. <laughs> um, so he does that. He doesn't start taking over on inking again until Fantastic Four 44. Um, because everybody starts associating um, Joe Sinnott, Jack Kirby. Jack Kirby, Joe Sinnott. I mean, they became synonymous. Mm-hmm. If it was Jack Kirby pencils, it was probably Sinnott inks. So that's what I... Kirby's main anchor. Right, absolutely. Um, so, uh, so, yeah, he was doing Two-Gun Kid. He did uh, Gunsmoke Westerns. Um, I guess he also met, uh, like, Bob Powell, Gene Cullen, all those when he was working for Marvel, uh, you know, early on. I didn't realize this. He did a lot of the inksing for Classics Illustrated's, because after the war ended and all those books, you know, go down in tubes, uh, none of the superhero books are doing. It, so he starts doing, you know, Classic Illustrated stuff, and he also does some stuff for, um, like uh, a children's book. <coughs> Excuse me. Why is it I start hacking whenever I come in here? Um, so then the Silver Age comes along. So who wants to take a Silver Age appearance? Because I took the hard ones. You guys get the easy stuff. I mean, he kind of had a hand in pretty much every single important first appearance, even if he didn't directly ink what was going on. But like you talked about, he did all the pre-superhero steps like Tales to Astonish and Strange Tales, all that. Um, So he worked on the Avengers, the Defenders, and Thor. Um, Excuse me one second. Um, So the Silver Age of Comics was around like the 1950s, 90s, 60s. And it's basically where most of the first appearances of the main characters of Marvel came in. The Atlas comics transitioned into Marvel during this point, and they launched what they referred to as, like, the pre-superhero comics. So that's your Tales to Astonish, Strange Tales, Tales of Suspense, Strange World, World of Fantasy, etc. I'm going to interrupt for just a second. Okay. So, because this is kind of funny, Tommy will love this. Uh, So I was reading that before he got the FF work, he was doing a lot of the stuff like the Strange Tales, Strange Adventures, mm-hmm. but he was also doing some of like the romance comics, <laughs> like <laughs> First Kiss and Just Married and Romantic Secrets. And I went through those credits, boy, looking for Patsy Walker. Yeah. <laughs> like, please let Patsy Walker be in this list. What <laughs> on Patsy Walker, though? No, there was no Patsy. All right. And as we all know, Patsy Walker, 95, greatest comic in the history of books. <laughs> I need to hear that story. <laughs> I keep hearing that. Well, before you were here, we were telling her about the video where I unveiled Patsy Walker, 95 on you. Oh, no. Yeah, we'll tell, we'll tell you off camera what, what the, what, why we both love this book so much. Okay. <laughs> um, our, our listeners already know, so. <laughs> yes. So anyway, yeah, so he became synonymous with Jack Kirby. Um, he often inked over Kirby's work. His first big book was Fantastic Four number 5, like we already talked about, which was the first appearance of Doctor Doom, right? Did we say Namor? Uh, so uh, three is, four is, four is Doom, five is Namor, six is Namor and Doom. In. Okay, it was probably their first team up or something then, or I will check that later. No, then. wait. 
Namor. Doom is five. Yeah, Doom is five. Namor's four. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, okay. his his first was 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 Doom. Okay. Right. And the funny thing is, he didn't even understand what the Fantastic Four was before he started working on all these books. He just right. didn't really know the characters or the stories or anything. He probably didn't and care a- because they're horrible. Mad <laughs> <laughs> <That> man. <laughs> But they're so important to the history of comics. Fair enough, fair enough. Well, you have to remember, at the time, he doesn't work for Marvel. Mm-hmm. He's still doing stuff for what is Atlas getting ready to become Marvel. He's doing stuff for Charlton Comics. He's probably still doing his classics illustrated. Um, but because he had been doing stuff for the pre-hero Marvels, Stan already knew what he was capable of. And I think if he was given the inking charge on Fantastic Four 5... Because of a scheduling conflict, they're like, I need someone to ink this. Can you take it? And then what ended up happening is I believe that because he'd done such a good job inking that Kirby was like, I want this guy again. Because uh, that's why he sent him issue six. Well, he sounds very prolific, like he was doing all the work he can get his hands on. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I mean, that's how you make your name. I mean, for it, apparently, an one of the things that they talk about is that he's he was the preferred inker by most artists at Marvel for mm-hmm. the longest period of time. Well, so see, Tommy, Tommy's jumping way ahead um, <laughs> because I was actually going to mention this at the end. But yeah, Tommy's right. In the mid two thousand, Stan Lee was quoted as saying, uh, "A lot of the pencils at Marvel said, I'm only doing this if Joe's going to ink it.'" Um, and he used to, have to start prioritizing, "Okay, who's going to get Joe as the inker? Because I can't give everything to Joe." Right. What a legacy that is. It's awesome. But, I mean, well, if you just look, look at any one of these, because he, the inker yeah. covers too. Um, and you know the saying, right? Um, a good inker can make a bad artist look good. good. yes. Or, or vice versa. And when you look at these covers, I mean, yeah, okay, they're colorful and they pop, but the reason they pop are these nice, clear, dark lines of his inking. Absolutely. Two magic comics just in pencil. I know, right? Yeah, tell me about it. So I am going back here. Okay, yes, issue four of FF is the first Namor. Issue five is the first Doctor Doom. And then six is Namor and Doom together. So I'm going to just step in because I have to tell the story before I forget it. Yeah, of course. So Tommy and I were at AwesomeCon a couple years ago. And there was a dealer there. And we're looking around on his shelf. And he had a Fantastic Four 27. Um, I'm scrolling up here just to show you real quick. Issue 27 has got the, the, the classic um, Namor, in, whoops, Namor in his crown holding Sue, and it's like he's going to take her away, right? So, and I was telling Tommy, hey, look, man, you know, Fantastic Four 27. And the dealer goes, oh, yeah, that's the first, silver, the first uh, Namor. And Tommy's <clears> like, <throat> oh, yeah. And I went, uh, no, not even. He's like, are you sure? I'm like, uh, yeah. And I said, it's Fantastic Four number four. Um, so he goes and looks it up. And on the phone, like, huh, yeah, you're right. And I came this close to going, you're the freaking dealer. You should know this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but needless to say, we didn't spend any money there. Uh, come on, Tommy, we're gone. <laughs> that, I mean, that's like over two years into the run. I necessarily know it was number four, but I knew I knew he showed up a lot earlier than tears into the run. He shows up twice in the first year. Yeah. Which is funny. There's something about number fours, because Fantastic Four four, we get the Surf Silver Age Namor. Avengers four, <laughs> we get the first Silver Age Captain America. America. Look on Tommy's face like rub it in. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. I'm going to find the person who stole that from me and I'm going to get it. It's not quite stolen yet. <laughs> the, the sad thing is, you know who took them. I mean, oh. it's. Oh, I know. I know. I, I'm pretty certain what, what happened to them. But see, I would have won had, you know, that not happened because I would have been able to display the first appearance of the Silver Surfer and took the crown. But no. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> is this a challenge? I can pull out there's, some cool there's stuff. A, it's always a challenge as to who has the best book of the night. I bet you can bring oh, stuff okay. in here that make him cry. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, she can. <laughs> yeah, there's, that, that's, yeah, she, she can win any night, I'm sure. <laughs> but, right. It's still a competition. Uh, he gotcha. almost cried when I unveiled that Patsy Walker 95 on him. <laughs> no, so I cool. just screamed, like, I just screamed bloody murder. That's what I did. I didn't know. I suppose you. <laughs> Afterwards, I'm going to show it to you because okay. the classic part is him sitting there while we're still uh, taping, texting his wife. <laughs> and, then, and he just stops and like, you. <laughs> anyway, you can go check that out over at Patreon.com. <laughs> yes, I'm going to say, Batman, good time to promote. It, it is on our Patreon page. Yes, it is. I think it's like yeah, me having a. It's definitely worth the price of admission. I'll be the first to admit. <laughs> uh, also, Tommy, I didn't know if you know this. Um, Mr. Sinnott inked the introduction of Thor in Journey into Mystery 83. Yes. So. Yeah. Big time, big time there, big time. And his first big exclusive issue was X-Men 13, where he walks the juggernaut. That yes. was really cool. Yes. So he, and it's so funny because he had his hand on so many big characters and at the time, he's just, this is just a job, man. And, you know, I take it, I'll take everything I can. Because he's, in, he's inking like half of Marvel's line at this point, yeah. you know? And probably giggle, giggling his head off. <laughs> right. Mean, at these fantastic characters that he got to ink that these people would come up with, you know? Just the ridiculousness of somebody like Juggernaut, you know? Yeah. Well, no. Oh, the size man. of this guy. It would be incredible to one that was an artist or, or an inker in these days and be, being able to do this stuff because it's just, you know, the stuff that they were coming up with is just amazing. Well, you know, you know, we haven't seen a, a creative blast like this in, in, in ages. I mean, it, you know, there, there's there's a lot of creative people, but nothing compared to what was going on then. Well, the age of giants has passed us. We're never going to get another. No, yeah, we'll never have creative. that back. I mean, I mean, honestly, the last giants uh, in the industry, as far as creator wise go, are your guys from the 70s. Um, your Roy Thomas, your, your Marv Wolfman, uh, Neil Adams, Perez, Gene, your Neil Colin. Adams Gene Colan. Um, those are the last great giants. And, and, and it's not to say the stuff that's being put out today isn't good. It is. It's just not. not it just doesn't have the impact that it did when these guys did it because it's like when you see something that went on years ago, like say, for example, when you see, watch an episode of The Lone Ranger, Clayton Moore put everything into that role because he felt that there was, he and Adam West as well, and George Reeves, even though it wound up being a burden to him, they felt there was a degree of responsibility that came with playing that character. Especially Clayton Moore because he, he practiced what the Lone Ranger Creed meant off screen as he did on screen. And he was, that's one of the things that gave a lot of, a lot of people respected him for that. Because I never, you know, he's one of the very few golden age movie stars that you don't hear anything negative about. Right. <clears throat> and, um, and like when we were growing up, it was, it just seemed something 
Not saying that those who came behind them didn't. But it just seemed like these guys, Kirby, Lee, that there were, you could feel the love of what they were doing when you put, when you bought these books. When you bought these, you knew you had something special. Now you got just another comic book. Right? Mass produced stuff. Yeah. Well, I think the big difference is, um, and I don't know why the creators today don't get the same type of feeling. I think when you look at Lee and, and Kirby, and, and Roy Thomas, and Joy Cena, and Gene Conlon, and all those guys, they knew at the time, I'm creating a universe here. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I am creating the stuff that, that my kids are going to be talking about to their kids years from now. Um, they, they knew that uh, they were making legends. Right, and adding their own personal flair to it. Right, Whether, whether you're a writer, an inker, you know, colorer. Because you have to remember, uh, again, all of these guys, Joe Cena is a prime example Grew up on the DC comics, reading Batman, reading mm, Superman. Right, right. Now it's kind of sad because they then go to Marvel and said, "I want to make my Superman, but I want to give this guy some feelings. I want to throw some problems at him." Superman never did X. I want to see a hero do that. Right. And that's why uh, that's why Marvel and sixty centuries were so great. Those guys cut. And their that's teeth. why they still. And that's and and now even. They can put out something downright, downright lousy, but that what they did with with, with that with, with that mentality with that outlook still carries forward because that is what has been putting the butts in the seats for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Because when the fans knew that they were going to be making a film about these characters, for some reason they knew that they, that. Compared to the DC characters, and I'm going to say this. If I was running DC and I started this, I'd be damned if I'd be taking a back seat to somebody who just came behind me and took over. Oh, no, I would be, right. I'd be putting out... I would be putting out the same type of material with the same zeal so that when the fans of my characters would know, hey, we love them too, but it's, but it's like... Marvel has a reputation of having more respect for their characters than DC does, with the exception of one film, which I'm not going to uh, <laughs> go into. But um, he's still better. <laughs> uh, the, uh, hey, look, I, I'm like this. It was it, it was that character's chance to shine, and they blew it. They 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 blew it, and I'm gonna leave it alone. But 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 that 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 what Stanley started. His outlook on how to produce the comics, and when he had Kirby, Ditko, Sinat of the Senate, um, and uh, Dick Ayers, Artie Simak, John Romita Sr., um, Don Heck, Bill Everett, Gene well, Colan, Wally Wood, all those guys, you you could feel their legacy when you go to those movies. You feel everything from those guys. Well, Here's, here's why Senate is such a legend with, with Kirby and all of them. They had the same mindset as Lee, which is, you know, let's not make the comics that we read because those were hokey. Let's, mm-hmm. let's make these guys real. Yeah. Um, and so they bought into it. And Senate even says here that uh, he liked what he's doing. He loved working on the characters. Um, and he even says that many times throughout the, the 60s and 70s, DC tried to hire him away. Right. Um, but he even admits Marvel was just paying me too good. <laughs> and didn't he wind up staying doing this for almost 60 years? Uh, well, 
a lot of people don't know this. Um, he retires from Marvel, I think, uh, as an inker around 1992. Mm-hmm. Right. But he was inking the Spider-Man Daily Strip up until just last year. Right. Um, yeah, we we talked about that last year, and um, when he retired, finally did retire from that. So he couldn't put it down totally, right? Right. Ex- absolutely. Nice. Talk about talk about it being in your blood. Yeah. Now, well, here's what's funny. He retires from doing comics, but he does the daily strip for Spider-Man. I would think that would be a tougher gig. It's, what three panels? Well, yeah, but you got to do one. You, you got to have one for every day instead of every month. Three panels a day. I mean, if you're doing a comic book every month, how many panels is in a regular comic book? Well, you know that's true because I think artists and inkers have also said that. If they don't get three or four panels in a day, they're behind. Yeah, because on the average, the um, most panels are at least four to five pages. I mean, four to five panels a page. Right. So I don't know. I guess he's a guy just he's like he liked, he liked yeah. I mean, what? he he worked up until what ninety two. He worked until last year. He was ninety two years old. He retired yeah, he, la- August of last year, right? August yeah, of finally, last year. Yeah, enough. So that's that's really impressive. When even I mean, then, did what he loved. So he was still taking commissions and stuff out. Right. If you look on his website, he like finally announced that he stopped taking commissions. He wasn't doing any autographs or anything last year. But his grandson, when they announced his death, he said that he was still drawing until the end. Right. And and a lot of people forget that he wasn't just an inker. He he actually drew as well. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but well, the, you have to have those skills to be an inker. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's. And I think the majority of inkers start as artists and then realize, like, well, it's too much work to, to actually draw this, you know, from freehand, but I'll gladly ink over someone else's work. <laughs> oh, yeah. Or could you, yeah. you have a steadier hand? Right. You know, a lot of these pencils, you know, if you look at the pencils of a comic book, you know, you have some guy who's like, how many times are you going to draw that, try to draw that head? You know, and then you got to ink the correct path, you know, and right. you got you to spot out, it's like, this is the one that works, you know. Not to mention, too, um, and this is, again, the sign of a good inker, such as Joe Sennett was. A good inker will notice the glowing, glaring error in artwork and call the artist and say, hey, man, did you mean to have Cap's foot going through the wall here? Uh, no? Okay, I'll fix it. <laughs> you know? Yeah, because, I mean, it's another level of making the art more solid. Right. You right. Know, pen, like I said, imagine, you know, comic books and pencils. They would be horrible because, you know, I don't know if you've ever drawn a pencil, but, I mean, there's tons of erasure marks on my sketchbooks. So, I mean, in ink, when you do the inks, you know, you're, you're setting these characters in a solid world, you know, and so you have to worry about the logistics. It's like, where is his, where is his leg going? Right. And, and I can tell you, um, Joe Sinnott easily was always one of the three names you saw in a Marvel book. You saw Stanley, Jack Kirby, Joe Sinnott. Um, and it wasn't just FF. You open like, like the Silver Surfer, you know, Silver Surfer, um, Stanley, Tabashima, Silver Surfer? Yeah, Silver Surfer. Silver Surfer. My tongue is, <laughs> tongue is too long. But, uh, Easy jeans, So, Tommy, oh. <laughs> Tommy, I know he did some stuff after Marvel because he leaves Marvel in the mid 2000s. So, who else was he working for after that? Uh, after that later career, during his years. <laughs> yeah. Um, I have it I have it if you want. What do you guys take it? Okay, aside from his sporadic works, however, Senator was primarily aching for Charlton. Don't read it verbatim, damn no, I mean, boy. I mean, I mean, I wasn't, but um, American comics, you know, Dell, we talked about Dell. 
And um, he did a uh, one-shot. He fully drew film and TV adaptations. And he did one for the Beatles. So oh, that's yeah. right, he did. So, so you can imagine how much that has increased in value with both John and George gone and now with him gone. So, so that's probably going to be something very sought after. And as you know, as we talked about, he returned to Marvel in 65. We talked about his where was the juggernaut. And he also uh, inked over Galactus, Silver Surfer, Black Panther, the Inhumans, Adam Warlock, and um, and some of the um, other artists that he worked with, um, pencils he worked with, John Romita Sr., Big John Buscema, Bill Sinkinbitch. Rich Buckler, and the great one himself, George Perez. Well, it's, and it's like Tommy said, there was a time where, and this not, isn't just a 2000, I'm assuming this went on from easily probably the 80s onward, because his name right. became synonymous with Great Inks, where a, an artist at Marvel said, I'm only doing this book if Joe's going to ink it. You can imagine that the stuff between him and George Perez were probably epic. Ugh. Oh my God. Yes. Well, think about it. Think about what kind of compliment you're paying an inker when you say, I'm only doing this if he's inking it. Um, yeah, yeah. And I mean, <clears throat> no, he was the best. I mean, there's no, no doubt about it. And well, he's, he was probably one of the best paid inkers, too, because oh, yeah. everybody realized how good he was. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, one of the things that you know, he said that he, one of the reasons he never went to D.C. is that, you know, Marvel kept him in plenty of work and Stan was going to make sure he was, you know, Paid more than what DC does. Yes, that's funny that he yeah. forgot about that. He did say that Stan straight up told him, "Whatever DC offers you, will pay more." <laughs> yeah. Right. You know, and I mean that that right there is a mark of some of, of greatness, right there. And, when, and, you know, and that's also a testament just simply being the best at what you do. Right. Yeah. It's, it's like we can't lose you. We will pay you more than what they're willing to pay. Okay. We'll back up the money truck. You can know? you imagine that phone call? You're sitting there. You've got Joe agreeing to do a DC book. Two hours later, he calls you back and says, sorry, I can't do it. So then you're Daniel O'Neill and you're calling Stan going, how much are you giving him? Exactly. <laughs> the, the, that conversation was had a few, more than a few times. You know. And, and, and I'll, I'll say this, you know, depending on, on, on the type of person you are, you can really use that to your advantage when Stan tells you that because I just keep moving my fee up every week. Right. Like, and, and, I offered me this. And you know. Yeah, they call back, they offered me this. That Julie Schwartz or somebody is calling Stan Lee. Okay, mm. Stan, what are you paying him? And he's like, well, I'm going to pay him next. You're like, Stan. You know I can't put an inker that. How do you afford it? I'll just cut a couple of titles. <laughs> I'll make a few new characters. Right. I'll just make a few new characters. <laughs> uh, all right, then. Um, we got a few minutes here before we shut down. Anybody got any last words, anything they want to say? Well, I'm wearing an example of his work. He inks your shirt? <laughs> he inked the characters on the shirt, and you can tell right. there are, and he had a signature look with his characters. His characters were rugged. They looked like they had been in a fight or what have you. You can say, for example, the, the black lines you see on Iron Man here, the thickness of uh, Thor, and I believe this is Herb Trimpey's uh, Hulk here at the bottom. The, the chroma key isn't very helpful for the Hulk. Oh, yeah. Right. And um, like, like a, I forgot, right. I forgot like the green. It's probably just a splotch. Yeah. <laughs> it's a Hulk-sized hole. Yeah. And you see his Spider-Man and his vision. He got Kirby's Captain America. And this has got Joe Sennett all over it. 
And I said I wouldn't. I I deliberately after when we when we talked about him passing last week, I said I was going to wear this in for the night because I could be wearing a living piece of history with what he's done. And I think the only there there isn't but two anchors right now that's out there that I think could even come close to the having the impact that Joe Senna did, and that's Joseph Rubenstein and Brett Breeding, who's a friend of mine. Shout out to Brett Breeding. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Brett. Um, So it just hit me why his inks are so great. Um, And it stood out for me when Olivia picked up this Silver Surfer 2. You look at his characters, they have weight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, they're they're not just they're not just inked over pencils. You feel <coughs> the weight, the mass, um, yep. the depth of the characters. Yeah, that's like I was yep. saying earlier. It's like you you have to put them in a solid world, and that means right. like give them weight. You know, give them bulk. You know. Yeah. It's, Make it look like that they're real. You know. And yeah. it's like when like on like as you can if for the um, viewers who are watching this, if you can see the Thor on my shirt, it looks like you can. You, he looks like he's he's actually going to throw the hammer, which is really cool about it because it looks like he's about to knock somebody out with it. And uh, <coughs> excuse me, but it was just he was very very integral to Marvel to the Marvel look. Absolutely. I mean, if you look at all, if you if you look from the. Um, from the beginning of the Silver Age all throughout the 70s, Marvel Comics had a specific look to them. And Joe Sennett started that. He didn't do everything, but but you but they he was you felt his impact and you felt his inspiration. He inspired a lot of people at Marvel, and he was, as I think all of us will agree, probably one of the most respected um creators in the industry and um I went on our, one of our sister pages the Batman page and I and I made sure that he was um honored because he's like a, he like myself and Scott although was a veteran but he he was very important to the industry and he was important in so many ways that a lot of people just not just because well, we know this because we're fans, but I mean, the comic book industry. If you really want to be honest about it, he has helped his work along with Lee Kirby and all the others has really helped what kept the characters and the industry afloat because they put out good work. Well, it's also funny too when you go to a cons when you're when you're a kid like us and we were starting off in comics. And you would pick up a book, and you would see like a signature on it, and the dealer would tell you that's a Joe Sennett signature, and you'd be like, "Who?" Because you knew the name, you knew Stanley, yeah, you knew yeah. Jack Kirby, and you're like, "Who?" And then the dealer would be like, "You don't know who Joe Sennett is." And then you got educated right there, and then yeah. you realized that, wow, this guy's name's all over everything. Exactly. <laughs> Fast forward forty years, and then you got you right. got a Enos's brain over here, right? Who exactly. knows everybody who ever worked on anything? Right. Well, Enos has never met a stranger in his entire life, so I mean that's, that's part of that. Right, he's that he's Mister Social Butterfly. Yeah, well, I don't know about all that. Like, y'all may not believe it, just believe it. But Enos, it's true. I work with you. You know the entire second floor. Don't talk to me about <laughs> you know. <don't> <laughs> true, but see, these are folks that I know. See, you're part of my circle. You guys are part of my circle. 
But outside of you guys, I don't mingle that much. <laughs> yeah, you, you only know about 20,000 people. I mean, oh, that's oh, thanks a lot, Tom. <laughs> but, uh, hey, well, I, I'm painfully shy, believe it or not. But, I mean, <laughs> I know Get you. Out. <laughs> Tom's just I am not even going to buy that you're painfully yes, shy. Yes, I am. No, I don't buy I, I, Well, i put it this way. Around you guys, I don't seem that way. But... Take me to a party where I don't know anyone. I will stay. Unless I'm with someone, I will stick with that group of people. I don't go around mingling because people people are knuckleheads, man. You just can't be yes. nice to some yes, people. Yes, they are. They are knuckleheads. Yeah, you just can't be nice to some people. And, like, before I put this size 14 where the sun don't shine, I'll stick to myself. All right. Well, we are running out of time. Just want to remind everybody. We are running out of time, right? I, see, that's what yeah. Enos is good for. If I need to fill space, I just push it off on. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to remind everybody that Madman does have Shock Monkey Radio every night from 6 to 7 p.m. here on FXBG Public Radio. We do have our Facebook.com slash Lost in the Longbox page. Also, please reach out to us at lostinthelongbox at gmail.com. We have the Patreon.com slash Lost in the Longbox. Please throw us a couple uh, dollars because Enos eats a lot. Um, we have our Facebook groups, uh, Batman, Yesterday, Today, and Forever, <laughs> Realm of Superhero Comics and Pop I think Culture. Randy's in trouble after the show. <laughs> and <got it> together, <laughs> the greatest superhero teams. Right. Uh, until next week, everybody, we will see you. Be safe. Have Thank a good you. one, everyone. Have, yeah, we'll talk to you next week. <laughs>